Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. This is book 29 of 52 from my 2022 reading list. While well, I like including financial books on my, my yearly reading list, I try to do at least one. And my mindset going into these is to try to pull one idea from each of these financial books and then to implement it immediately. So that's the key thing is not to just try to find one idea and then think about it for a while, but but to that day, like when I come across it, to implement it immediately. And it's one of those things where if I if I start making these changes, it could it could pay huge dividends in the future. And so that that's my approach going into this. So in this episode, I'm going to cover in the final segment, I'll cover my one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. And then I'll also cover some other ideas that showed up that I thought were, were, were very interesting. Now, if you look at the title of this book, The Psychology of Money, this is a little different than... Than, than other financial books that I've that I've read that might be more about uh, brass tax things of this this is what you should do investing wise here are the 10 steps to take immediately there's some of that in this book but it but as the title would suggest it's more about the mindset and in fact Morgan Housel one of his main points is that how you behave is more important than what you know and I find that to be very encouraging because sometimes finances, personal finances, what should you do with your money? What should you do with your money right now? Will I have enough money when I am older? Can I afford to do this? The, it, there's so much and there's so much information out there and there's so many tools. I mean, there's shows, there's friends giving you advice, there's, there are podcasts, uh, there, there's, it's too much. And so how do you narrow down? How do you make wise decisions without becoming overwhelmed and it consuming half of each day, just, you know, thinking about what, what you should be investing in, or do you have, do you, are you, are you doing the right stuff right now for, for the future and that kind of thing? So the, I, I like that aspect of this book where you are kind of taking a step back and, and, and Morgan Housel is, is trying to get you to think about how you're approaching money. And so to that end, there are 20 chapters, uh, 19 of them are, are kind of just different mindset ideas and practices. And then the final chapter is what he does with his money, which I, I found very, very interesting. So uh, the other thing I think about when I'm thinking about psychology is Mr. Daniel Kahneman. He's probably Dr. Kahneman. But uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, that's Kahneman's most uh, well-known book. And I read that in 2018 for this project. And what's funny is I see those ideas in so many other books that I've read for this project. And in fact, the psychology of money is basically taking a few ideas from Kahneman and then applying them to the area of personal finance. And there are plenty of these types of books out there. For instance, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's basically taking some ideas from Kahneman, from Thinking Fast and Slow, and then applying that to negotiation. And so, uh, yeah, it, Thinking Fast and Slow is one of those important books, and I define important books by ones that are, are often referenced by other books. So I'll, I'll come back to, to Kahneman in this episode, but suffice to say that Kahneman's name shows up a lot in this book. Morgan Housel seems to have had conversations with him, attended conferences that he's done. So you, you get some 
personalized things that Kahneman has said to Morgan Housel, not just kind of the standard stuff that's in thinking fast and slow. So, so that was cool as well. But if you are familiar with Kahneman, you will see his ideas, uh, some of his ideas applied to the area of personal finance in this book. I've, I've, I want to highlight reading stats real quick, and, and mainly because this book took me under four hours to read. And I want to encourage you to read this book. I will highlight some of the, the key things that stuck out to me, but there are a ton of things in this book that could be really helpful to you. And if you think about that, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the price here and it's $27. It's 22 pounds to, to get this book. And it, it was under four hours. So for an investment of $27 and four hours of your life, you could really, I, you know, it, it has the potential to make a huge difference in your financial life. So I want to encourage you to, to, to read it. Uh, next segment, I'll get into the, some of these key ideas that I saw in the book that really stood out to me. And then segment three, the one thing, my one key takeaway from the psychology of money. There are a few things that Morgan Housel covered in this book that I just thought, you know, that's a really good point. And that's, it's very helpful. And the first idea was, uh, well, Housel goes back into his past and he, and he says, at some point he worked as a valet parking rich people's cars at, at some, some, uh, place. And these people would come up and it'd be a Ferrari or, or a super nice car and, and he'd get to park them. And the observation that he, he shares is that he rarely ever looked at the person getting out of the car. That was not his concern. His concern was, how would I look driving this car? How would I, Morgan Housel, how would I look driving this on the road? How would I feel? How would people look at me? What kind of status would this give me to have this car? And he he thought that was so interesting because the one of the reasons the person who bought that car probably bought it was for people to notice to notice them to to have people look and say oh wow that person must be successful they are dry, driving a $400,000 car and then you know that maybe that leads to respect and, and awe and, and all that kind of thing and i i i thought that i i loved this because it kind of takes the feet out of just that desire to impress others and to keep up with the joneses and when, when his observation, just that, you know, people really aren't looking at you when they're looking at this nice car. They're, they're looking at the car and they're, they're picturing in their head what they would be like in that car. And, and it ties in well. I've, I've heard the story of, or the, the idea too, that don't worry what people are thinking about you because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And that's a broad statement, but in general, people are thinking about themselves. And I mean, just, just look at your own life. Like when you, when you see a nice, nice car pass by, what's the first thing you do? Uh, I, I admit that I will often look at the driver first just because I live in Nashville and chances are it's a famous musician or something. But if I don't recognize the person, the, the very next thing I'm doing is, oh man, I wonder what it'd be like to drive that car on some of these windy roads around here. I wonder what it'd be like to, to have that car. So like he says, I'm going right to that point of what, 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 what would it be like for me? And yeah, it just, it just kind of knocks the feet under that, that idea of, of trying to impress others. Because even if you're trying, they're probably just thinking about themselves. They're, they're not thinking about you. 
This ties in very well with another observation of his that wealth is what you don't see. So by definition, if somebody has a nice car or a nice house, that is not wealth. That is, they, they have spent their money, they have spent their wealth to get that thing. And so unless you have insight into someone's bank account, you actually don't, you can't observe the wealth that they have because you don't see it. And I, I remember reading uh, The Automatic Millionaire in my 20s and just being struck by that book because he, uh, the, this author would go and, and just kind of looked at different millionaires around the United States. And a lot of times they were driving Buicks or, or just other, other non-notable cars. They were oftentimes used Buicks. Uh, they had been driving them for many years. And it wasn't this flashy, like, I'm a millionaire, I have a Ferrari type thing. But their, their wealth was in the bank and they were millionaires because they had the the money. So those two observations, just people are not looking at you when you try to impress them with houses and cars and all that. Uh, and if they are, it's a very short period of time. They're thinking about themselves. And then the wealth is what you do not see. I just found those to be very helpful ideas. The next one is about bubbles. He talks about um, how, to, how to identify bubbles. And this, another just... Uh, helpful idea. So I'm going to read, it's just a sentence here. Bubbles form when the momentum of short-term returns attracts enough money that the makeup of investors shifts from mostly long-term to mostly short-term, end quote. So what what he's saying, and, and if you think of uh, bubbles that you may have seen in your lifetime, maybe it was the housing bubble or the tech bubble, what, what he's saying is oftentimes for investment, you're, you're looking at the long-term and, and that should be your financial goal is, is investing for the long-term. And if you're doing that, and, and if you've bought a, a property or something for the long term, and all of a sudden you start seeing a lot of people going in and buying for the short term and using mortgages that just really don't make sense uh, because they don't need to make sense because the person is probably just going to flip the property. If you start seeing that kind of thing of a short term mentality taking over a long term investment type, beware, because th that could be leading to a bubble. Another, another thing he mentions is, is that there are universal truths in money. And they're not, they're not, they're not many, but uh, there are some, and it's important to learn those and then act accordingly. Uh, one of those that comes to mind is just the, the importance of compound interest. And I'll get into that a little bit later in this episode as well. But learn those truths and then act on those. The final chapter I mentioned is chapter 20, where the author goes through his investment strategy. And I found this to be extremely helpful. And he has, he, he first shares what he has invested in. And then he shares his statement, his, his financial strategy statement. And so I'm going to cover both of those things here. The first is just what he invests in. And I thought this was so awesome. It's three things. It's very short. All of his net worth is in his house, his checking account, and his Vanguard index funds. That's it. House, checking account, and Vanguard index funds. Let me quickly go into each of those. When he says his net worth is in his house, he does not have a 90% mortgage, and he's not viewing that as net worth. It was important to him to pay off his house. So he has a completely paid off house. He knows all the arguments on why that is a, perhaps a unwise 
financial decision and, uh, you know, borrowing money at such low rates right now might be better. He knows all those arguments, but he wants to be able to sleep at night. And for him to be able to sleep at night, he, he, he knows he has to have a paid off house and he has made that a priority and he has done that. That's the first thing. The second thing is checking account. He makes the point that you should have savings that are just savings, not savings for a car or savings for a house. Those things are important, but you should also just have savings for the sake of savings. And he talks a lot about freedom and, and having savings allow you uh, uh, more and more freedom in the sense of maybe you're in a job that, that you hate or, or you're, you're afraid that uh, that job may not last. If you don't have savings, you are forced to take another job immediately. You, you don't have the options to kind of try different jobs or, 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 or spend time looking, you, you have to just go immediately. But having those savings just allows for a cushion. And, and so having that cushion allows for freedom. The more cushion you have, the more savings you have that aren't earmarked for a specific thing, the, mo the more freedom that leads to. And then finally, he invests in Vanguard index funds. Now, Vanguard is a, a, a company started by Jack Bogle. You can go at vanguard.com. That's where I do my investments. And, and you can just choose index funds and they basically, they indexed, they index what the stock market is doing. So you put your money in and if the stock market is going up, uh, very generally here, uh, your money will go up and the history of the stock market has gone up. So you may have down years, up years. Uh, but if you, you do that, Vanguard has extremely low rates uh, and, and fees on their funds. And so it's just a, it's just a good place to invest. You're not using a financial advisor. You're just going directly to Vanguard and investing your money. And that can be in retirement accounts. It could be, you can set up your kids, uh, school accounts and that sort of thing. So I love it. It's simple. Net worth in his house, checking account and Vanguard index funds. Simple. Not all these other crazy things. Inherent in that is that Vanguard index funds, you are not picking your own stocks. He puts his money in these index funds. He puts it in at regular intervals when he gets paid, and he just puts it in there and does not think about it, and he is not taking that money out and trying to time the market and all that. He's just putting the money in, letting it work its magic. He shares one story in the book where they're at a financial firm, one of the when, when, this, when this person would conduct interviews, he would ask one question of the interviewee, and it was this, what do you do with your money? That, that was the question. It wasn't, you know, tell me about your experience. Tell me, where did you study? Uh, where have you worked before? But what do you do with your money? The brass tax, what, how do you invest your money? And it reminds me, uh, back when I was looking at what, what should I invest in in, in Vanguard, uh, all government officials in the U.S. are required to share where their investments are located. And I remember seeing what Janet Yellen, the, the Fed chairman at the time, was invested in at Vanguard. And I'd said, well, she seems like a intelligent lady and kind of go into this brass tacks of what do you actually do with your money? Not, not what government programs you put in place or that sort of thing, but what do you do with your money? That was telling to me. And I just looked at what she invested in and said, well, those look like good funds. I'm going to do that. So you can do that. If, if there's uh, happens to be a government official, you think might be wise with their money. It might be a fat chance, but just in case there is, that's something you can do and see what they are doing. Here's Morgan Housel's statement that I mentioned about his strategy for investing. And perhaps you are going to think about your own 
statement or you put together your own statement of how you invest. And again, Morgan Housel keeps it simple. It's one, one sentence. And here it is. I am a passive investor, optimistic in the world's ability to generate real economic growth, and I'm confident that over the next 30 years, that growth will accrue to my investments. Let me just read that one more time. I am a passive investor, optimistic in the world's ability to generate real economic growth, and I'm confident that over the next 30 years, that growth will accrue to my investments. End quote. Let me just dig in a little bit on that. Passive investor, that's with the in, the Vanguard index funds. He's Passive means he is not active. Active would mean that you're actively picking specific stocks. If you look at even the best stock pickers and financial advisors out there, most of the time they do worse than the market does, than an, than an index fund does. So if they're having trouble doing that, and as, we, as I learned in college, if monkeys can uh, take darts and throw them at the Wall Street Journal pages and pick stocks and do better than financial advisors, then you're not going to beat the market. So it's, it's best with his strategy here, just be a passive investor in, in these index funds. And then he's confident just in the, in the, the ability of the, the market to generate economic growth and that if he's investing in that growth, it will compound, it will grow over 30 years. That's the, the, the other key thing I want to highlight here is over the next 30 years. So for his investment strategy and his investment statement, 30 years is key. He's not watching the news and being scared of a depression or an economic down, downturn or some crazy thing happening with such and such company or such and such country. He's, he's in it for the long term. So he's not t- putting money in and taking it out, trying to time the market. He is putting money in, and that just gives a general sense of peace passive investor. He's not active. He's not taking time, you know, trying to pick the right stocks. And his time frame is 30 years, not 30 minutes or 30 days, 30 years. I love that. I I love the simplicity of his method. It it just, it it would be a good method for all of us to, to implement in our own lives. It's fall of the year 2001, and I am in Accounting 101 at the University of Georgia. It's the first day of class, the professor comes in and he lays down a sheet of paper in front of all of us. On one column, it is showing payments for a BMW at the age of 22. So he figures you guys are business students and you're going to want to impress the people around you and perhaps that means you'll get a, a BMW upon graduation. But here are the payments for that. And at that time, I think it was like 300 bucks, maybe it was a $30,000 car, uh, base level, level Beamer in, in 2001. And so you're looking at 300 something a month. And so that was column one. And it, he showed you what the payments would be for that, how long it would take you to pay off that car. And the yeah, just the, the monthly payments to, to make that happen. In the next column was if you instead, instead of buying that BMW, if you invested that same amount of 300 whatever per month, and put that into the stock market as a 22 year old, Here's how much money you would have when you were 65. I, th- I think that's the age that, that the document showed. And it was startling because it took into account compound interest. And that's the first time I, re- I remember seeing compound interest and in, in how it can, 
you can take like a hockey stick where it's going straight for a while on that graph. And then all of a sudden you hit those later years and it just skyrockets. And that was a key point in this book, the uh, compound interest. But there was one sentence in particular that just blew me away. Uh, A couple sentences here, and I'm going to read them. And it's this, as I write this, Warren Buffett's net worth is $84.5 billion. Of that, $84.2 billion was accumulated after his 50th birthday. $81.5 billion came after he qualified for Social Security in his mid-60s, end quote. He even has a more succinct quote at the beginning of this chapter, and it says this, $81.5 billion of Warren Buffett's $84.5 billion net worth came after his 65th birthday. Our minds are not built to handle such absurdities, end quote. This is my key takeaway. I, I've, I've known about compound interest for many years. I've read about it. I've seen all the charts. But this quote just blew my mind. I mean, I've seen books about Warren Buffett my whole life and his investment strategy, and I did, did not know that. I did not know this, that 99% of his net worth was after he was 65, and it's because of compound interest. Yes, he made very wise decisions. He's also made some poor investment decisions. But when he made, he made those decisions and then he held and let compound interest work its magic, 81.5 of the 84.5 billion of his net worth came after his 65th birthday. What's funny is uh, Morgan Housel then in, in that same chapter, he he, he he says this, I've heard many people say that the first time they saw a compound interest table or one of those stories about how much more you'd have for retirement if you began saving in your 20s versus your 30s changed their life. But it probably didn't. What it likely did was surprise them because the results intuitively didn't seem right. Linear thinking is so much more intuitive than exponential thinking. If I ask you to calculate 8 plus 8 plus 8 plus 8 plus 8 in your head, you can do it in a few seconds. If I ask you to calculate 8 times 8 times 8 times 8 times 8 times 8, your head will explode. And End quote. I, I love that. I, I Seeing that chart did... It did change my life in a way... I, I don't think I acted upon it until after college in starting to invest but uh but it got me thinking and it did surprise me as as he mentioned and so that's my one key takeaway i mean i've known about it but it's just kind of that reminder of the power of compound interest and and i think the way it stuck out to me more this time was that this book is full of stories of what other people are trying to do and maybe that's go to las vegas and hit the jackpot there or in uh buy lottery tickets and you know one in over a million chance of 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 winning but but how many people do that and how much money is spent per year on lottery tickets and the the hope there is that you hit the jackpot but compound interest is hitting the jackpot i mean hitting 81.5 billion after you're 65 from previous investments that's that's the jackpot and and we're not going to you and i are not going to hit the billion mark uh 84.5 billion but it's compound interest the same. And if, if we're investing and letting that money grow over time, that compound interest chart will, it will work. And that is a jackpot. And, and it's, but it's a jackpot that is not shooting in the wind. It's, it's a jackpot that is boring because it requires repetitive behavior over a long period of time. And that there's nothing sexy about that. 
but <laughs> if you let it go long enough, that's that's where it you 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 can actually hit a jackpot with with that regular behavior. And so for me, in in the sense of what what does this mean? What's what's the one idea that I'm going to implement? I mean, I'm I'm investing, but it just it makes me want to to be stronger in that and and to be just to put more away and to take advantage of that of that compound interest. So that's my one key takeaway. Just that sentence of of Warren Buffett's that just blew my mind. I'm I'm still it's still such a shock to to read that. To recap, this is a very good book about finances. I've I've read some others that that uh, I probably enjoyed more. I'll, I'll cover those in just a second. But uh, but in general, this is a good one just to kind of take that step back and think about the mindset of of money, the mindset of of your investing. I've said this before when when I come across these books that are that are looking at Kahneman and and there's also a lot of uh, Nassim Taleb in this book on on risk. I, I would encourage you to read those books first. So for Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, Taleb, a good book by him would be Fooled by Randomness. Those books can help you not not just with personal finance, but uh, I mean the Kahneman book. So many people reference that and and talk about that. It it it's a hard book to get through. It is very dense. It's it's a it's a slog, but it's it's amazing, and you're probably better off starting with that book and then reading books like this, and and you'll you'll kind of know where some of the ideas came from, and and you'll be able to take the ideas from Kahneman and kind of apply them to different areas of your own life. If you are interested in other financial books, these are three that that have had an impact on me. I've mentioned one of those already, The Automatic Millionaire. So, two parts of this book. The one is just automatic. He talks about automatic millionaire is that kind of boring, repetitive investing. So every paycheck, you put a certain percentage of that into your investments, and it's automatic. Like you you have it automatically taken out of your check. You're not consciously thinking about it. You're not trying to pill, pay all your bills first and then invest, but you invest first, have it be automatic. Don't even think about it. Just do it, and you'll be surprised at the, at the end of how much that has uh, compounded. The other thing is, is that... <laughs> him going through different millionaires in the US and just showing that it's not the lifestyle you think it's not the Ferraris and all that. Um, the people that are actual millionaires that have millions in the bank, they are frugal, they are wise, and they're not doing stupid things with their money. That's the first book. The second one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, this one was just helpful for me in in the sense of properties and investing in properties and just thinking of of different different ways of approaching money, so I uh, that one I, again I read that one in my twenties as well, and that that played a big role in in what I ended up doing uh, in my twenties and thirties with money. And then uh, I don't recall what book it was, but there was a book I read that talked about Jack Bogle, and he is the founder of Vanguard. Jack Bogle has also written books, so you could read those. But just any book that talks about why it's wise to invest in index funds even over going with like a financial advisor and having them take a huge chunk in fees. Uh, th- there's a time and place for financial advisors, but um, if you're if you're kind of starting out and if you're, you're in your 20s and 30s, if, if you just did index funds with Vanguard, that, that would be a fantastic start for you. And so any book dealing with Jack Bogle or by Jack Bogle would, would be a good a good read. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm fascinated with money and books about money and 
personal finance and, and the best things to do with money, how to be wise with money. And so if, if you have read this book, if you've read other books that you want to tell me about in the area of personal finance, I'd love to hear about them. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric with a K. So E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. And you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. That's at Books of Titans. Also, please go to the website. I have so many resources there, how you can pick your own reading list. I've got reviews for each of my books. I've got links to the podcast episodes for, for any of the books that I've covered on the podcast and just general ideas to get you started with your own reading project. I'll be back in a week or two with uh, another book from this year's reading list. Until then, keep thinking, keep reading, and what's the other thing? Well, just have fun. See you next week.